I've got a lot to tell you today. If you've got your Bible, go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. As I said, this is week two of a series called Christmas in Motion. We began last week by looking at five motions that are happening in the Christmas season, and I ended the message last week by talking about the reality that God makes the first move. God makes the first move. The Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So how many of you know that kind of sounds like we make the first move? You draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. And maybe God is asking some of you to make a move today. But the Bible also says no one seeks the Father unless the Spirit draws them. So here, here's the goodness and the graciousness of our God. He, by His Spirit, draws you to want to draw near to Him so that He can draw near to you. That's what God's doing today. Long before you decided to get up and come to church so that you had the opportunity to draw near to God, the Spirit was wooing you. And we see even in Genesis, the very first movement on the earth was the movement of the Holy Spirit. The Bible begins in Genesis 1-1 saying that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But I want you to look at verse 2 up on the screen here. It says, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So in creation... The Spirit of God is making the first move. Even in John chapter 1 and in verse 2, it speaks of Jesus and it says, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made and without Him nothing was made that has been made. But I want you to know while Jesus was active as the living Word of God, the agent in creation that was on the earth causing things to move was the Holy Spirit of God. And I say all that to say it's no different today. That the agent of motion in the story of creation and in the Christmas story and in your life and in mine today is the Holy Spirit. I was talking with my youngest daughter yesterday and I told her, I said, I'm, I'm going to be preaching on the most overlooked cast member in the nativity. She said, well, who are you preaching on? I said, this is the unsung and the unseen hero of the story. And she said, are they in the nativity? I said, yes, they're in the nativity. So she's thinking for a minute. She says, I think pretty much everybody's seen and sung. (laughs) I said, I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit. How many of you know without the activity of the Holy Spirit, we don't get the Christmas story? I challenge you to read it again and see how many times the Holy Spirit is at work. And we call it the Christmas story, but let's be honest, it's act one of the redemption story. This is actually the story that God set in motion all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, God himself prophesied to the serpent in the garden about Jesus. Genesis 3.15 is the first mention of Jesus in your Bible. It says, God said to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity or strife, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So what God is saying in Genesis 3.15 is that the very reason I'm sending Jesus, a child to be born, a son to be given, the reason I'm sending my son to be born of a woman is so that he can grow up, grow into a bigger shoe size, and crush the head of the serpent. That's the plan and purpose of God. 
Colossians 3 says it like this, or chapter 2.15 says that Jesus has disarmed the powers and the authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. That's what Jesus did. But I want you to know how he did it. When you look at the Christmas story and you look at the redemption story, what you find is over and over again, as sure as it was true in creation, the Holy Spirit is the catalyst for the activity of heaven on earth. When Jesus was first baptized in the Jordan by John, and he's getting ready to start his ministry. The first thing the Bible says after that moment of his baptism in Matthew 4.1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it tells us what happened after that 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So as soon as Jesus began his ministry, we see him being led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. He's led by the power of the Spirit back into the city. And then he goes to his hometown, and it's Sunday. It's church day. It was actually Saturday for them, but that's for a different point. And then he opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he begins to read. And as he's preaching the inaugural message of his ministry, Jesus of all places opens to the scroll of Isaiah and reads these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me. You see, the Holy Spirit was the catalyst for the motion of heaven on earth in the story of redemption. He's the catalyst of the mission of Christ. And then Paul the apostle would come along later and, and, and write the book of Romans to the church, and in Romans 8, verse 11, he would say, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. It lives in me. So for the next few moments, I want you to go to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to see the Holy Spirit's operation in the Christmas story, and prayerfully, you're going to see and sense his desire to operate in your life. The first person I want to look at, we talked about a little bit last Sunday, Zechariah. And if you missed that message and you don't know this story, what you need to know is that Zechariah will be the father of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. At this time, Zechariah is an old man, he's a prophet, and it's his turn to serve at the temple. I want you to zoom in with me to verse 9 in, Act, or in Luke 1, because it says this about Zechariah. It says, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. To, to be chosen by lot literally means like they, they cast the die. They, they rolled the dice, you know, high number gets to go in. I, I don't know how they did it. They drew straws, but it just meant like by chance, by lot, he was chosen to go in. Now, if you don't know the history, if you don't know the, the, the context of this, this is like a, this is not a, a verse you camp out on, like when you're reading the Christmas story with your kids on Christmas morning. You know, you, you don't stop and dissect Luke chapter 1, verse 9, but this is my time, not Christmas morning, and so I'm going to stay here for a minute because I need you to understand something. I need you to know that, that Zechariah is one of about 20,000 priests in Israel at this time. And there's only one temple to serve in. How many of you know that's a lot of preachers for one pulpit? <laughs> and so 
So they didn't get that many chances to serve at the temple. In fact, it was almost like the National Guard. It was like being a reservist. They got called up two weeks out of the year. So for two weeks, you go and you serve. And when you get there, your little platoon of priests, they they cast lots. And the best job, the job you want, the, the, the most prized, coveted position for a reservist priest is to get to burn incense on the altar. So it just so happened that in the year that God was going to send his son to earth to be the savior of the world, it just so happened at the time that Zachariah's wife would become pregnant with John, the forerunner of Jesus. By chance, the lot was cast that Zachariah was the one who got to burn the incense on the altar. And by the way, if you ever did draw the long straw and got that job, your name was taken out of the hat. You never got to do it again. That's why I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates that verse in the message paraphrase. He says, it came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. So can you see why I want to pause and just kind of acknowledge the irony of Dr. Luke telling us the lot was cast. I don't know if you think there's coincidences in your life all the time. I mean, if you just realize you didn't wear matching socks today, that might be a coincidence. But how many of you would agree with me that if you have an encounter with the God of heaven or with an angel on assignment from heaven, that's not a coincidence? Zechariah is about to have a face-to-face conversation with Gabriel, the archangel. And this is not a coincidence. And what I want you to know this morning is that that there are no coincidences when it comes to the encounters that God has orchestrated for your life. Just as much as it was not coincidental that that Zachariah's name was called on, that he was at the altar in that moment that Gabriel came to earth, it's not by, by happenstance that you're in this service this morning. It's not a coincidence that you came to the 10 o'clock service this weekend. I believe God, as sure as he wanted to speak to him, he wants to speak to you. Why do I believe that? Because the same Holy Spirit that orchestrated the events of that moment are still orchestrating the events of your life. I kind of halfway quoted the verse earlier when we were about to pray, but Psalm 139 tells us that all the days of our life were recorded in God's book before one was lived out. Hebrews 11 says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the author. That means he he knows where you're at in the storyline. He he knows the arc of the story. He knows the villain. He knows what you're up against. He, He knows who's in the story, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Zechariah was chosen by Lot, but Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Don't you believe that the same God who can control the earth's revolution around the sun can control the revolution of a pair of dice? So when we live our lives submitted to the the lordship of Jesus Christ, there's no coincidence today in, in what God is up to in your story. He can orchestrate the events of your life perfectly. And, and then six months later, that same angel Gabriel appears to a virgin in a town of Nazareth named Mary. And I want you to look in the same chapter at this encounter that Mary had with the angel. Pick it up with me in verse 30. It says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
Skip down to verse 34. It says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. How is this going to happen? Can I tell you, this season, predominantly the spotlight's going to be on Jesus, as it should be. Jesus is the who of Christmas. He's what it's all about. Can I tell you today, the Holy Spirit is the how. The Holy Spirit is the how of Christmas. And when Mary's saying, how in the world, how can this happen? How can God's will be fulfilled in my life, given that I know what my circumstances are, given that I know my reality, given that I know who I am and I've never been with a man? How could I be pregnant with a child? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you, says the Lord. Gabriel said that to Mary. Jesus would years later say essentially the same thing to his disciples. When they wanted to know, Jesus, how are you going to build your church? How are you going to build it from the ground up? How's this going to happen? Jesus says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. And they did. And then in Acts 1.8, he said, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, in other words, when the Holy Spirit overshadows you, you will receive power from on high and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea in Samaria and to the ends of the earth how's it going to happen same way it's always happened in creation and at Christmas and in your life and in mine in this church the Holy Spirit is the catalyst for the motion of God in the earth what, what did Mary do this is important how did Mary respond to this revelation look at verse 38 Two things. Number one, she received the promise from God. I know that doesn't sound complicated, but you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised at how many people won't just simply receive. But here's what she said. I am the Lord's servant. Now, now you might say, come into my heart, Lord. You might say, God, I give you my life. You might say, I surrender. But whatever verbiage you want to use in this moment, when Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, what she was saying is, God, you're the leader of my life. I had a plan. I was engaged. I thought my life was going to look like this. But I recognize your presence in this moment, and I surrender. I'm the Lord's servant. Do what you want to do. She received the promise. She could have rejected that promise. She could have said, no, I, I, don't, I won't believe that. I can't believe that. But she received the promise of God. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit overshadowed those 120 in the upper room, they poured out into the streets, and Peter began to preach. The Bible says some 3,000 people got saved that day. But before they got saved, they asked a question, what should we do? In light of this gospel, in light of the reality that we are sinners and that we can't get in right relationship with God, what should we do? Peter said to them in Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But look at what he said next. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. In other words, the same spirit that was promised to Mary has been promised to you. 
For all who the Lord our God will call. For all who are far off. If you'll receive the promise, the promise is for you. He said, my spirit will overshadow you. Now, here's the second thing Mary did. It's very simple. She yielded to the purpose of God. She received the promise of God, and she yielded to the purpose of God. Look at verse 38 again. It says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Can I just remind all of us, church, that Jesus didn't baptize the church in the Holy Spirit for our purpose. He sent the Holy Spirit for his purpose. He was, he was very clear in why he was sending the Holy Spirit. Receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is not about having an emotional experience on Sunday. Having the gifts of the Spirit in operation in your life is not so that you can get like some like Christian badge or have some elite status in the church so that you can look more spiritual than anybody else. God wants every believer to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. He wants every one of us to have the fullness of the power of God in our life flowing for His purpose in the earth. So the promise for Mary was was literally this. The promise is you're going to have Jesus on the inside of you. He's going to grow in you, and eventually you're going to deliver him into a world that needs a Savior. Can I tell you, spiritually, it's not much different for us. The invitation is Jesus' Spirit can come and live on the inside of you, not just so that you can experience Holy Ghost doodads on a Sunday morning, but so that you can let his spirit grow inside of you and you can go through a a gestation period of spiritual maturity so that you can birth a deliverer into your office, into your school, into your workplace, into your home. You can be a carrier of redemption. So that's the promise. That's for you. And it's for anyone who will believe the promise and yield to the purpose that God has. Man, I want so much to preach about the other characters in this story, but, but he, here's what you need to know. I, I want to look at Elizabeth really quick. Look at Elizabeth. This is Zachariah's wife. And I, I love Elizabeth because, you know, the Bible says about her and her husband in Luke 1, 6, that they were both righteous people. They were righteous in the sight of God. They observed the commands of God. They, they led blameless lives. Anybody else can vouch for that? Like, not me. They were, they were good, good Bible-believing Christians. They, they were righteous people. But before we think that they're unrelatable, Luke writes in the very next verse. He says in verse 7, but they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Now, it's significant that we know something about these people because when the angel spoke to Zechariah about his son, he told him he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from before birth. Now, I'm praying some of you get filled with the Holy Spirit in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, but, but the angel said John is going to have the Holy Spirit before he's even born. That means that Elizabeth was going to be carrying the Holy Spirit during her pregnancy. And can I just say that the Holy Spirit won't stay just anywhere. His name is holy. <laughs> he won't just stay anywhere. So there's something that he saw in Elizabeth. While, while Mary was found 
favorable to be a carrier of the Son of God. Elizabeth was looked at as favorable to carry the Spirit of God. And and as John is, is growing in her womb, the Spirit of God is in her life. But I love that Luke doesn't just paint the story with rose-colored tinted windows. He, he gives us the reality of it, that, that this is not just a woman who was righteous that followed all God's command. This is a woman who has lived a life of disappointment. She couldn't conceive. That means they would have no, no heir to carry on their family name. Their property was tied to their family name, so they would have to give that to someone else. Uh, there was no social security. Your kids took care of you, so they had, they had no security for their future. There are a lot of implications that, that infertility was the biggest stigmatism that could be on a woman in that day. And, and yet here's a woman, disappointed, frustrated, all the reason in the world to be angry and upset at God, and yet God sees in this woman someone who is faithful, someone who will trust God. And Luke, so unkindly, makes sure to emphasize, and they were both very old. Like, they weren't just old. It's not like they were just praying and hoping, maybe there's some slimmer of a chance that we'll still have a son. Like, the window of opportunity wasn't just closed. It was nailed shut. Like, Luke, the doctor, says they were both very old. Like, they never had kids, and now they're very old. And yet, here's Elizabeth. She trusts God. She trusts him. And then she does something incredible and wise. She spends time with spirit-filled people. Let me just read the next portion to you. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. It says, at the time after Mary had found out she was going to conceive It says, at that time, Mary got ready. She hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, just because you come to a Spirit-filled church doesn't mean you're going to be filled with the Spirit. But if you will make up your mind to do what Elizabeth did, if you will obey the commands of God, And if you will trust God, even in the situations that you're uncertain about. I mean, come on. How many of you know it's easy to trust God when everything makes sense? But when God disappoints you, when your hopes are deferred, when when your emotions are are being stretched, those moments when you say, I'm just going to trust God anyway. If you'll obey God's word and trust in his plan and get around spirit-filled people, I want to promise you, your spirit is going to be like dry kindling when you get next to that fire. I've seen it happen so many times. So many times in the church, people that aren't even seeking the Holy Spirit, people that aren't even asking God to fill them with His Spirit or to give them a manifestation of the gifts, they're just seeking Jesus. They're just going after the who of Christmas. They're just going after the one who we come to behold. And yet the Spirit, the, the how of Christmas begins to work in their life because they're hungry and they're yielded because they've received the promise. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God begins to be poured out. And that's what happened for Elizabeth. And immediately, she began to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. I wish I had all day to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. But when when the Holy Spirit comes upon you again, He doesn't come on you for you. It's It's not for me. I don't keep score on my ministry by how many people get excited in the church. It's It's for His purpose. 
In fact, I would say the emphasis of the Spirit's work is not even for what happens in the church. It's for what happens in the world. We learn how to be yielded to the Holy Spirit here so that we can hear his voice out there. But Elizabeth, she, she gets around Spirit-filled people. And all of a sudden, she begins to be filled with the Spirit. And verse 42 says this. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Now, it's not like Mary called her on the phone in advance. She wasn't expecting her young cousin to join her. She wasn't expecting a visitor. Mary just found out she's going to have a child. Elizabeth's in her sixth month. She has no clue that Mary's pregnant, and yet immediately she gets filled with the Spirit, and she begins to operate in a gift of the Spirit. It's called a word of knowledge. God just told her something that she wouldn't have known otherwise. She operates in that gift. And then look at verse 45. Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Again, Mary hasn't said much. She doesn't know about the promise, but this is the gift of prophecy. All of a sudden, she's prophesying to Mary. The very reason that Mary showed up was because she just got a difficult word from God. She needed comfort. She needed confirmation. She needed encouragement. And so she went to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. And in that moment, because the Holy Spirit was moving and operating in Elizabeth's life, Mary got all three. Right there, that's how the Holy Spirit works through the church. You show up thinking you're going to get a song and a sermon, and God speaks to somebody to speak directly into your life, whether it comes through prophetic preaching, and I'm reading your mail, and I don't even know it, or somebody that prays for you after the service or has a conversation with you in the parking lot. All of a sudden, the Spirit moves on Elizabeth, and Mary gets confirmation. What God said to me, he said to you, it's happening. Mary gets comfort in knowing that the thing that I didn't know how it would happen, look at you, you're very old. And you're in your sixth month. And she gets encouragement. The Holy Spirit was moving. He was moving in creation. He was moving in the Christmas story. I'm going to tell you, he's moving in this church. He's moving in your life today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And I want to say to you today that it is no more a coincidence that you're here in this service, this 10 o'clock service on Sunday morning at Wrightsville Assembly of God, or, or you're watching online today, it's no more a coincidence than it was for Zechariah to be in the temple with a lot's fell in his favor, to be burning incense at the altar when the angel Gabriel showed up with a word from God. God wants to speak to you. And more than that, he has a promise for you, a promise that is available for as many as the Lord our God will call. Would you be like Mary and would you receive the promise? Would you receive it? And would you yield to God's purpose and say, God, I, I hear you calling my name. I recognize your spirit in this moment. That God, I'm not going to let the disappointments disqualify me from being a carrier of your presence. Maybe, maybe your story is like Elizabeth's. Maybe you've got a, a, a list of unmet expectations. Maybe there's things in your life that God hasn't done for you. And the temptation is to just shake a fist at God. Say, God, I don't understand why, why you would do this. Can I just encourage you? 
that God's delays are for greater glory. His delays are for greater glory. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28 that we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God. So if it's not good, God's not done. You're not on that page yet. He's the author and the finisher. He's recorded your story. If it's not good, it's not finished. But don't disqualify yourself from being a carrier of his presence. The church in 2021, we ought to be pregnant with the life and love of Jesus. When we get around each other, the Spirit of God ought to start kicking on the inside. And the gifts of the Spirit ought to start flowing in and through our lives. So I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you've heard this message and right now the sense in your heart is that you're far from God. If you feel far from God today, I want you to know there's an invitation that you can come near. And you, you, need, you need to come near. Nobody can reach for God for you. Nobody can pray a prayer of salvation for you. You need to reach for God. But you need to know that God made the first move. You're not here by coincidence. If the, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, can I just encourage you? Just be receptive to that. Just, just acknowledge that. Say, God, I, I want to move towards your heart. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes all over this room. With every head bowed, eyes are closed. Just want you to be honest with God in this moment. If you're here and you're not in a relationship with God, but you want to be, you need to be, God is calling you today. He's inviting you into a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. If that's you, this is your moment to respond, to just say, yes, Jesus, I receive you. Yes, Jesus, I surrender. This is your moment, like Mary, to say, I am the Lord's servant. If you want to say that to the Lord today, I want to ask you to just raise your hand wherever you're at. Just raise your hand. That's me. I'm, I'm coming to the Lord with that prayer. I am the Lord's servant. Amen. 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 You can put your hand back down. Anyone else? I want to ask one more time. If you're here and you say, that's me. God is calling me to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you want to pray this prayer right now. I am the Lord's servant. I'm asking for the last time. Would you lift your hand? Thank you, brother. Anyone else? Anyone else? Praise God. You can put your hand back down. I, I want you, church, to pray this prayer with him. Come on, let's pray it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be the Savior of the world and the Savior of my life. Jesus, I surrender my future to you. I receive your word. And I surrender to your will. Take my life and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. You know, nothing pleases the heart of God more than a person that surrenders completely to the will of God. Can we just give God praise for what just happened in this moment? Amen. Amen. Come on, church. We, we ought to stay amazed by grace. We know it was amazing when it saved us, but it's still amazing when it saves somebody else, isn't it? I want to pray a closing prayer right now, and I'm, I'm going to open these altars. If you're here today and you say, I want somebody to pray with me, just find your way to the altar even as I pray. But, but I want everyone right where you're standing to, to just receive right now. I, I believe, church, hear me, I believe that God wants to pour His Spirit out on the church. I believe He's called us in our generation to be the carriers of Jesus, to be filled with His Spirit. Paul said it like this. He said, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. And so the same way that, that God said, Mary, I, I want to make my appeal to the world through you. He says to us in our generation, I'm making my appeal to the world through you. And the way he's building his church is through the power of his spirit. So I, I want to invite you, if you're open to just the spirit of God moving in your life, operating in your life, will you just lift your hands toward heaven as we pray? Father, right now, all over this room, you know the hearts and the wills of every man, woman, and young person in this church today, those online. God, I ask right now, the Lord, you would find us to be worthy recipients of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't deny the difficulties. We don't deny the disappointments. Lord, like, like Elizabeth, we've had our setbacks. We've had our frustrations. And yet, God, we commit again today to be committed to your word and to trust your plan for our lives. Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit right now in the same way that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit of God when she got in the presence of Mary. God, right now, as we stand amongst a congregation of people who are carriers of your presence, the carriers of Jesus, God, would you let the Spirit of God begin to kick on the inside of us, stir up the gifts of the Spirit, Lord, that we would begin to operate in the gifts, that we would begin to hear the Word of God in our heart, in our minds, and we would release it with our lips, that we would prophesy, that we would have words of knowledge, that we would be able to pray the will of God with gifts of tongues, and that we would be able to encourage the church with the interpretation of tongues. God, that we would have gifts of faith, gifts of healing, gifts of, of, of encouragement, gifts of administration, gifts of hospitality. God, we can't do this work without the Spirit of God being the catalyst for the activity of heaven on the earth. So Lord, we surrender and we yield right now to the power of the Holy Spirit. Breathe on us, Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, do it now, Lord.